Thank you for joining us today for the Church of Rock Calgary podcast. If you'd like to find out more about us or have any questions, please email info at cotrcalgary.ca. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Well, what a privilege to be here this morning with you. I'm so thankful. The Word of God is what transforms us. And so every time I heard it spoken, every time I get a chance to share it, it brings life. And so I'm so thankful. I'm going to preach today about, about what do we do in a shipwreck. We've got a video. It's going to be running here. There's a road. We're going to go viral for a couple of minutes. And uh, I'm just, just watching the background here as I share with you. I, I, wanted to, I was watching this on my phone yesterday, so small. I thought, what is it going to look like on the big screen? We're talking today about shipwrecks. So just watch that for a couple minutes as I share with you, and get, get your mind focused. We're going to talk about uh, Paul and Jonah in shipwrecks, and tell you what, when you're in a trial in life, when you're going through something like that, all of a sudden you get rid of everything that doesn't matter, and what really matters comes down. But just like Ian was saying, we've known each other for forever, and... Uh, you know, I've been married, uh, I went to Bible school, went to seminary, got my master's, I've been a youth pastor, my wife and I were able to plant a church in, uh, in LifeLinks. That's a big one, isn't it? Wow. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Can you imagine being in a 40-foot boat in that? Yeah, these guys are in boats that are about 1,000 feet long. 399.99 meters long, some of these boats. And so I've pastored, I've worked uh, in different ministry opportunities, and then I had the opportunity to become a chaplain at Lakeside Meat Packers, where there were 2,500 people there, and I was able to uh, be a chaplain and meet with 100 different nations and 120 different languages. That one's great, isn't it? You know, one of my cars right now looks like one of those. <laughs> There's one that goes over the top here. We like that. Watch it. There it goes, over the top. And uh, I really felt called to be a chaplain, to walk with people where they were. And so I ended up becoming a chaplain at a, at, uh, a prison for six years. And then I moved out here. So, so that's my wife and I, and we've got three beautiful kids One's 28 and lives in Qatar, which is the Middle East. He was, he was here last week, and he kept, he kept saying to people, well, I live a little bit south of Lethbridge. And I said, well, actually, it's you're east of Lethbridge, just a little bit. My other son is right now in Malaysia, and he's been a year in Australia. And then my daughter lives in Medicine Hat. So aside from Jesus Christ, the greatest thing in my life is my wife and my kids. And so we're going to talk today, we're going to walk through, sorting through what is your priority. And, and I, was, uh, I was listening to my Bible on my phone, I was out for a run, and it's interesting, in the one-year Bible, they talked about Jonah and then Acts 27. And uh, both of those stories concern gigantic waves, storms and God's people in the midst of a storm. And so we're going to talk about, about what is at the root of your belief about God. 
what is it that, what is the thing that drives you? And we're going to talk about, um, is, it, is it the process? Is it the procedure? Is it the program that you say, you know what, I trust in this program. This is what's going to get me through. Um, I work at a, at a prison, and a lot of inmates say, we trust in AA. The program's going to pull us through. Just work the program, and the program will work you. Unfortunately, it doesn't seem to work for a lot of people. We're going to talk about people. A lot of, a lot of times we make uh, people a priority in our life, which is great. We love people. Um, we enjoy being with people. But sometimes people fail. And the other thing is promise. A promise. And so we're going to talk about these two stories, and then we're going to look at um, some things in procedures, programs, people, and promise we're going to end up with. If you're following with me, you know probably I'm going to be leaning on the third one. Spoiler alert. Yeah, you know, we're in the movie theater, so uh, spoiler alert. We believe in the third one. We believe in promises. But so many people get caught up in a program, or in people, and they end up shipwrecking. Or sometimes they get caught in the wrong promise. So I'm going to give you just a thumbnail uh, picture of the two stories. A lot of us know them, but a lot of us don't know the stories. Great stories. The Bible is the greatest book in the world because you know why? It's got the greatest stories in the world. You know, there's no story like Jonah and the whale. Right? And so, Jonah, four chapters. It's a quick read. I encourage you, read it tonight when you go to bed. Read it tonight and read Acts 27. Probably take you less than 10 minutes to read these stories and think about what we're talking about. Um, if I had time, I'd read you the stories and we'd go through them, but unfortunately, we don't have time. So I'll give you the Reader's Digest condensed version. Jonah, God spoke to him, said, go to Nineveh that wicked city, and say, 40 days, and judgment. So Jonah, being a good prophet, he goes down to Joppa, which is now Jaffa, jumps on a boat and goes to Tarshish. We've got a picture here. I, I had to change the definition a little bit, so some of it's not quite clear, but he started out in Gath Heifer. We don't think it has anything to do with a cow. He started out in Gath Heifer. He went down to Joppa, and he fled. He went the other way. He was going to Spain, Tarshish, in Spain. Who would have known that? And all of a sudden, a storm came up. And the Gentile, the non-Jewish sailors, they, they, they were trying to figure out, why is this storm happening? And there, there was a belief, you know, God is behind all things. So, they were praying, and, and they cast lots, and the lot came out on Jonah, which it's interesting, the Greek name for Jonah is Jonas. But the lot came out on Jonah, and they said, well, Jonah, what happened? And, and uh, you know, the, the whole story of Jonah is one of the saddest stories in the Bible. Um, you know, Jonah is one of the greatest men of God. He loved God. He had an intimate relationship with God. And to see someone that ran from their promise 
and for the reason that they did it and went and did something else, heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. So Jonah, the, Jonah, he says, well, it's because of me, because God's asked me to do something. And I said, God, forget it. You know, he, he was really rude to God. And the saddest part of the whole book of Jonah is this part right here, I think. Because these Gentile sailors, they said, well, Jonah, tell us, what, what do we have to do to appease God so that this storm stops so we don't all die? And he said, pick me up and throw me over the boat. And I, I think... I think, how heartless can you be to do that to men that they would have to carry your death on their hands their whole life? If you know you're the one that's responsible for the problem, be a man and jump over the edge. Be a man. But no, he wasn't willing. You know what? He made those Gentile, those Gentile sailors throw him over. How heartless. How heartless as a person of God that you would make other people and even non-Christian people carry the weight of your sin. So he gets thrown over the edge of the boat. A fish swallows him up. He prays in the belly of the whale. Says, okay, God, you got me. I'm going to do it. And he gets vomited out on the beach. He goes into Nineveh. He says, repent. And then he goes and he sits on the edge of the hill and he waits. He says, 40 days. 40. It says 40 days and judgment's going to come. So he sits on the edge of the hill and nothing happens. And Jonah 4.2 is really instructive. He said, he said, God, I told you when I was in Gath Heifer. I told you when I was there, I was afraid that you were going to do this. Because God, I know who you are. This is who you are. You are gracious and compassionate. You are slow to anger and abounding in love. You're a God who relents from sending calamity. Lord, I, I'm afraid that you're going to be like that to people. Well, what's he saying? He's saying, God, I wish that you were a God of judgment, that you would bring destruction and judgment and terror and destroy people. That's who I want you to be, God especially to my enemies. That's who I want you to be, God. To me, not so much. I like that part. If I was in Gath Heifer and I heard judgment against me, I'd say, Lord, you're good and compassionate. But my enemies, shoot, Lord, you're, you're going to be merciful to them. I know who you are. Tell you what, that's a sad story. And the, I, I love how Jonah ends because it ends with a question. You know, God asks such great questions. God is a gentleman and will never force us. And God, the, the whole book of Jonah ends with God asking Jonah a question. Read the question, and uh, it has nothing to do with where we're going today. But uh, maybe it has a little bit with where we're going today. But uh, tonight when you're reading it, ask yourself that same question. The second journey... and. I love, I love when patterns show up in the Bible. It's so great to see patterns. So I was running and I was listening to this and I thought there's a pattern. There's Jonah's ship problems. We want to pronounce that properly. And then there's Paul's ship problems. And 
And so here we see we're going from the whale, we're going to Paul. He's on, he's on kind of a little bit of the same trajectory as, as Jonah, but for a different reason. Acts 27, um, Paul was falsely accused. The Jews tried to kill him. And the court, the Roman court, they said, well, Paul, will you go back to Jerusalem and stand trial? And some of the things I read seemed to indicate that he was to stand trial before the Jewish Sanhedrin. How do you think they would have found Paul? Guilty. And actually, there'd been 40 men that had set their lives aside. They said, we won't eat or we won't drink until we kill Paul. All he had to do was wait about five days, and he would have been okay. I wonder what happened to those guys that made that vow. But different question. But the fact is, so he's, he's put in jail, and, and he, he's standing on trial, and, and they say, well, will you go back? If you go back to stand trial, you'll be good. But Paul knows if I go back, they'll kill me. So he said, the only way I can get out of this situation is if I appeal to Caesar. So he appealed to Caesar. They put him on a boat, and off he went. We see they had a bit of a tough journey, and then they get to Fair Havens. I personally am looking to go to Fair Havens. I want to go to Fair Havens. But they wanted to go to Phoenix. It was 40 miles further, and one of the books I was reading said there was better drinking, and the sailors wanted to go to Phoenix. Fairhaven is just a small community. If you're a sailor and have to spend the whole winter somewhere, you want to be somewhere where you can drink or somewhere you don't drink. Sailors like drinking. So they, they said, it's only 40 miles. Let's go to Phoenix. And Paul said, don't do it. Disaster's coming. And they voted, and they said, let's go. So they got out. They just got started. A wind came. They were blown around for 14 days. And Paul stands up, and he says, he says, guys, I told you you shouldn't have done it. Don't you love people that say that? Remember 14 days ago when we weren't being tossed to and fro on the ocean? Remember how many times you guys have thrown up in the last 14 days? And it says that, it says that they gave up hope. They gave up hope that they would, they gave up hope that they would live. They cast off. That word gave up hope is the same word that we're going to read about where they cut off the anchors, and all the anchors fell to the bottom. They, they, they cut their hope. They gave up on their hope. And Paul said, but I want to give you some good news. 14 days, I want to give you some good news. The God who I serve, the God who I stand with, he sent an angel, and the angel came to me today, last night while you guys were sleeping. I was up praying. And the angel said, don't worry, Paul. I've told you you're going to go and stand before Caesar. I'm going to send you. And you know what, Paul? I've given you the lives of all the men on this ship with you. If you keep reading, you'll see that the soldiers wanted to kill Paul. The sailors wanted to desert Paul. Those are the kind of people we were dealing with, deserters and murderers. And Paul said, Lord, would you please have mercy and not kill these people? God said, Paul, I'm going to send you through. I'll kill them all. I'll kill the other 275. Well, Luke was there. Okay, 273. Because then how will the book of Acts and Luke get written if Luke dies? Okay, I'll give you two. But Paul said, I want all of them. Give me all of them, Lord. All these murderers, all of these sailors, these drunkards, these people, the captain who got us into trouble. Lord, would you give me all of their lives and let them live? God said, okay. 
Okay, Paul. So here's the question. When we're in a storm, are we going to trust in a program? Are we going to trust in people? Or are we going to trust in a promise? So, you know, a lot of people trust in a program. And, and so let's go to the next slide and let's see what it is. Oh, there's the, they found the anchor. They, they, they cut the four anchors. And so um, some fella said he read the account and he figured out where it was on Malta. They landed on Malta. And so he read the account and he went to where the, the land went from, I think it's 120 feet to 90 feet. And at 90 feet in that bay, he dove and he found the anchor. So this anchor is from Paul's ship. You know, if you ever wonder, is the Bible true? Remember this anchor. And there's, there's uh, our father, not our heavenly father, but one of our earthly fathers that's there with the, with the anchor. And, uh, you know, they said, uh, the fellow that fell in this anchor said the other three had been found, but they were melted down and either sold as scrap or used as weights for scuba divers. But this one, so all four anchors were found right where Paul said they would be. You know, we, this book, this book can be trusted. Totally. Totally. So anyway, uh, let's go to the next picture here. So programs. Are we going to trust programs? Go to the next slide. So, you know, a program is something that works for a while, kind of like things develop and things grow. So here's, here's two different ways of shipping things. The black and white is the older way, just, just to give you a clue. The color one, that's the new way. I saw the... Um, I saw pictures of them filling a cargo hold, and what they would do is it just this big hole, and they'd drop stuff down there, and there's all these men down there with hooks, and they'd be moving it around. It took weeks to, to load a ship. And now, uh, if, you do, if you don't remember anything, remember this. I'm so excited about this. T-E-U. T-E-U. It's 20-foot equivalent units. 20-foot equivalent units. What they, what they decided, some fellow in the 1950s that was a trucker in America, he said, this is an awful awkward way to move things over the seas. What if we just made it so that there was one standard length for, um, for cargo, and it would be 20-foot long uh, shipping cargo crates? And so they said, well, let's try it. So the first ship... Um, that they built carried 500 TEU, 520 foot equivalent units. Can you guess how many is in this one right here? More than a thousand. Take a take a guess. More than more than a thousand. More. More. How many? What do you think? More than 10,000. More than 15. 21,000. 21,000 10-foot equivalent. So they used, to, they used to carry, the first ship that they built could carry 500 in 1950. So before that, they were carrying significantly less than 500 TEUs. Now there is 30 ships in the world 
that are that can carry more than twenty thousand TEU, more than twenty thousand. Uh, most most of the trucking units are about forty feet long, so that's over ten thousand those trucking units. So go to the next slide. So here's the Panama Canal. I changed it up because I don't want you guys to get unbalanced. Black and white on the left this time, color on the right. So the same channel. Look at look at how big the boats were. Um, Nineteen. 14 is when the, the Panama Canal opened up. In 2016, they finished an adjustment so that they could get these big boats through. And you know what? So often, we in the church, we're carrying things and moving things like that. Well, it, it worked. It worked. So long ago, do you remember how it worked? Do you remember? We used to sing. I, I work in jail. And, you know, there's... There's these Christians that come, and God bless them. I love them. But there's only three songs they ever sing. Amazing Grace, um, There's Power in the Blood, and uh, Set Free from Prisons Bars. I, I can't sing those songs anymore. I can't. It's been seven years. If, if I, I, was at, I was at a service they were singing. I had to walk out because I got kind of cold and clammy, and I started to panic a bit. And you know what? People... They keep moving things like it used to go. Instead of saying, you know what? It's time for change. We can't move the gospel like we did 50 years ago, like we did 100 years ago, like we did 400 years ago. Go to the next slide, please. So here's one way that we work this in the church. Maybe I'm stepping on some of your uh, theological or your cultural. You know, it's not theological. This is cultural. Um, King James Version. You know, God spoke through the King James Version. It's the authorized version. Some people think it's authorized by King James. Other people say it's authorized by God. And there's this one church in Singapore where they speak Mandarin. And it was this, it was this large congregation of about 40,000 people. They speak Mandarin. And they broke apart over the idea is, is the only way to read God's word in the King James Version. And the whole church split over that idea. Or are we, are we going to try and carry the gospel in a new way? Go to the next slide, please. Um, do we read the Bible? You know, I had to borrow this. I've moved. This is a borrowed Bible. I want it to look religious for you guys. I wanted you to think, this guy's not crazy. But you know what? This is my Bible now. This is my Bible. Yeah, there you go. How many people have a Bible? Yeah, uh, how many people have the paper Bible? Wave them up high. You don't have it with you. How many people have an electronic Bible? Come on. And you know what? I was at a church service a few years ago, and this guy I really respected, he said, God forbid people are using this. It's... It's the weapon of the enemy formed against us. The only way that we can read God's word is on paper. <laughs> we'll visit afterwards, brother. Is, is that program? Is that a program that we're hooked up into? Go to the next slide. Hymns and contemporary worship. Which service would you rather be in? I, I want to be in the left one so bad. 
It looks like they're having fun, doesn't it? Don't you feel God's presence in that one? It could be. It could be. I, I love this picture because the name of Jesus is framed by that guy raising his hands. You know what? Hymns used to be great. They used to be great. I was in a church one time, and one of the leaders said, we will only sing hymns. Because in 1960, we sang this hymn, and I got saved. So now, today, we've got to sing the hymn again because people get saved. Because if I got saved with that hymn, then everybody else can. Time has moved on. The program has, is shifting. Move on to our next slide, please. People. People. Head, head to the next slide. Do we... Do we get so connected with people, we put our hope. When we're in trouble, we connect to people. You know, Paul and Barnabas, they were connected and they were doing powerful things. And all of a sudden, Barnabas's nephew, Mark, John Mark, the one who wrote the gospel, he gave up and ran away. And Paul said, I will not work with him. And they argued and fought to such an extent over people and over what, what people things that they split. Have you ever seen that happen? Go to the next slide, please. I just want to talk about him. I've got, I think, about 15 minutes, right? Yeah. I want to talk about, uh, this is Robert Evans. Have you guys ever heard of Robert Evans? Who's here heard of Robert Evans before? There you go. <laughs> My wife, because I keep talking about it. One of the greatest revivals that have happened in the history of the world happened with Robert Evans in Wales. I, I've been reading about it because my son is in Wales, and I said, if you're going to go to Stonehenge, you've got to go to Mariah Chapel. I think you can see in the back it says Mariah Chapel because that's where it all started. Robert Evans was an uneducated uh, coal worker. That part of Wales, it, it was all coal work. And... And he caught a vision. He had a vision of the arms of God reaching down to Wales. And he said, God is going to visit Wales. Wales is going to be saved. And so I said, you got to go. You got to go. And what happened is 100,000 people were saved in 18 months in Wales. It so transformed the Wales that the police officers formed quartets. Because if you're not getting criminals there are all the criminals have stopped being criminals what are you going to do well you sing right and quartets were leashed upon the world one of the greatest evils of that revival <laughs> and the my favorite story from that revival is it was a coal mining um area and so down in the coal mine they had these little ponies that could fit down there and after the revival happened, they had to get rid of all the ponies and get new ones because the coal miners, almost all of them were saved. And how they used to work with the ponies is they would beat them and swear at them. And that's how the ponies knew it's time to work. But when they all got saved, they stopped beating the ponies and they stopped swearing at them so the ponies didn't work. So they had to get new ponies. That's revival. That's revival. But you know what? Robert Evans... 
tied the revival to himself. And after 18 months, he burned out. He preached two or three times a day. And he burnt out. He had, he had a nervous breakdown, a mental breakdown. And if you read the history, he ended up Jesse Penn Lewis. I was reading an article this week. It said, Jesse Penn Lewis is the Jezebel of revivals. An interesting thought. But he, he was unable to carry on. He was unable to preach anymore. And he lived the last 40 years of his life living at Jesse Penn Lewis's house and in isolation. And the revival died. And, you know, I, I, was, I was so excited. I thought, when my son Tom goes to Wales, there's going to be great big museums, and maybe they'll have pictures of those little horses, the ones that didn't work. And maybe there'll even be pictures of a police quartet. I would even be interested in that. I was Googling uh, Wales revival museums. Nothing. Nothing. There's no record of it. It's gone. The only thing is this statue of Robert Evans. Evan Roberts. Thank you. Evan Roberts. Yeah. And uh, Evans seems more like a last name, doesn't it? But, of course, I'm not Welsh. You can notice the writing there is, is in their language, which is kind of cool. But, uh, you know, we hold on to people. And we think, this person is going to get me through my storm. You know what? They're in your storm. If they get pulled into your storm, what's going to happen to their boat? It's going to sink. The third thing is promise. A promise. Man, I live my life for a promise. I believe. I believe in a promise. I believe that God has promised me something I haven't seen you know what? I've seen lots of great stuff. I've been a part of lots of crazy stuff that God has enabled me to be a part of and, and even to, to be one of the leaders in some of it. Um, but you know what? That's over. If it's over, it's not a promise anymore. And go to the next slide, please. I like this promise. My wife said it would be a good thing if I had one scripture verse. In here, so there you go, John 12, 27 to 28. You've got it. Next script, next, uh, next screen, please. You know, what's, what's our promise? Our promise is that God is going to bring the nations. I want to talk to you for a couple of minutes about Jonah. What was Jonah's issue? Jonah's issue was he was a contemporary of Hosea, and in Hosea, God told Hosea, you know what? I'm going to bring the Assyrians. Guess where Assyria's capital was? Nineveh. I'm going to bring the Assyrians, and they're going to destroy Israel. The northern. There was a northern and a southern part. The southern part, Judah, where we get the word Jew, served God. Um, I just heard this morning, they had some bad kings and some good kings. They're bad kings. There was a lot of bad kings, but they only lived together in unity for about 120 years. The good kings, a smaller number of kings, ruled for over 300 years. And it's, uh, it's wonderful to look at the good kings of Judah, but, you know, the, every king of Israel did not serve God and led their people away from God. So God, he said, you know what? I'm going to send the Assyrians, and I'm going to destroy the northern ten tribes, Israel, not Judah, Israel, Assyria is going to destroy Israel, 
Nineveh is going to destroy Israel. What was Jonah afraid of? Why didn't he want? Why didn't he want to go and preach? It's because he didn't want the Assyrians to survive. He wanted the Ninevites to all die so that his people could be safe. So he had a promise he was holding on to. Jonah was holding on to a promise, but it was a racially motivated promise. It was a promise that was a selfish promise. And he said, I don't want those people, those nasty Gentiles, those nasty Assyrians, those nasty Ninevites to live. So you know what? I don't care if God kills me. He was in the boat. He was hoping to die. Because if I die, then the promise will go down. You know what? If God says in 40 days you're going to be judged, and he says, I'm going to tell you, God is saying, you have a chance to change. And Jonah didn't want those people to have a chance to change. Jonah, saddest book probably in the whole Bible. But you know what? When I read it, I look at myself and I I think, Dean, where are you? Where are you in this? You know, I, I, about 15 years ago, I was a really conservative right-wing Christian. And I had these really right-wing conservative views about life and, and what should happen to people. And then I started working in the prison where everyone's broken. And so all of a sudden I had in my office a transgendered person and their homosexual lover. And they were asking me, how do we sort out our relationship? And so I was talking to them about it and I, I kind of had a little bit of a, a flashback to the dean of 10 years before that. And I thought, if the dean of 10 years before that would come and hear what I'm saying in this office, he would hate me. Because we shouldn't be helping people like that. That's what he would have thought. And here I am, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to connect with them where they are and love them where they are. And I thought, I, thought, I, I don't know if I hate myself or love myself for that. I, and I can't figure it out because I'm trying to help these people to work out their issues. I've got my own issues. I should have said, get out of my office for a few minutes. I need to work through some issues. But, but you know, it's so easy for me to see myself in Jonah's shoes or sandals or barefoot, whatever Jonah was wearing, I could see myself like Jonah because that comes upon me and I, I've, got this, I've got this black and white attitude. This is right and this is wrong. If you're doing the right thing, you're with me. If you're doing the wrong thing, I'm going to try and destroy you and take you down. <clears throat> but the fact is, what was Paul's attitude? You know, I quickly go to Paul because if I really focus on Jonah, I start to get depressed about myself and who I am and where I'm going. But if I start to say, you know what, Paul, he had a vision. In, in Acts chapter 9, he met with Jesus, and Jesus told him, he said, I am going to send you to the Gentiles, and you will speak to kings and rulers of the Gentiles. That's your promise. Paul, that's who you're going to be. That's what you're going to do. God's promise, we see it here in in Revelation 5, 9 and and 7, 9. God says, I'm going to to save the world. 
I'm going to save the nations. I've got a heart. God says, I've got a heart for everyone. In Revelation 7, 9, John says, I, I was taken to heaven and I saw, and there was a multitude of people, every color, every language, was praising the Lord and singing the song of the Lamb. And I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of making it happen. That's my promise. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, God said, Abraham, through you, Abraham, because he wasn't Abraham yet. He was just a father. Later on, he became a father of nations. Abraham, but he was just Abraham, father. And he said, Abraham, through you, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. So, you know, the question is, where are you in this? And it's really good to be in a stormy sea. Just picture again the, those ships going up and down. Nobody threw up, so that was great. Up and down. And, and uh, are you trusting in some sort of program? Are you trusting in the ship? Are you trusting in the things on the ship, the things that used to make Christianity work? Are you trusting in those things and saying, you know what? If we just keep reading the King James Version long enough, people will come. If we just sing, there's power in the blood often enough. Please don't do that. But maybe that's what you're thinking. <laughs> then things are going to change. Are you connected to a program to bring change? Are you connected to people? Are you connected and saying, you know what? Uh, John Wimber, um, Rodney Howard Brown. Maybe some of you guys don't know those names. Those names in the 90s were incredible. They're gone now. The way they were doing things is gone now. Are you connected to people? Is your hope, Lord, this person, I'm going to walk with this person and they're going to get me through. Lord, I'll let them stand in front and break the wave. It's always difficult when you're standing behind someone who's breaking the wind. Get off to the side. But where are you, are you standing behind people and hoping that people will get you through? Or do you have a promise? Do you have a promise from God? Do you have something that's bigger than you that you say, you know what? I'm going to make it. And God, I believe. God, I believe in what you're promising me. And I, so I, I want you just to pause for a minute. Ian's going to come and, and close us up. But I, I want you just to pause for a minute. Just close your eyes and think, where am I? Where am I in this? Am I, what am I trusting? And right now, if you're trusting something else for your salvation, as your eyes are closed and your head's bowed, now's a good time to say, Lord, I'm going to trust in the promise you gave through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ promised in John chapter 3, he said, I haven't come to destroy the world, but to save it. And so if you link yourself together with Jesus, you can be saved. That's, that's the primary promise to believe. But then what promise are you holding on to? What promise are you holding on to? And I just want to pray for you, and then Ian's going to come. So, Lord, 
um, you have a great vision. Lord, I, I, love, I love that picture of that gigantic um, cargo ship carrying 21,342 TEUs. Lord, what a great product. What a, what a great thing to carry more, to be able to carry more, Lord. I want us to carry more. Lord, I don't want us to be stuck. You know, I, I feel that maybe some of us are stuck where things have been before. We're looking back and we're saying, man, I want to go back. I want to be carrying cargo that way. I don't, like, I don't like the new way. I don't like the new way. As a matter of fact, I'm going to fight the new way. God says, you know what? I'm actually the one that's making the way new because I want to touch more people. I want to work through you. God loves you and wants to work through you. He wants to give you the greatest privilege in the whole world, which is to carry the promise to more people. God says, let it go. Let it go. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for joining us today for the Church of Rock Calgary podcast. If you'd like to find out more about us or have any questions, please email info at cotrcalgary.ca.